Let's uh, open in prayer and get started. My Father, my God, thank you, Father, for this day, for bringing us all here, dear Lord, Father God, safely, Lord. We think of those that may be on their way. We ask that they would get here safely also, dear Lord. And Father, uh, as we look at the rest of this chapter in 1 Corinthians 13, dear Lord, I pray, Lord God, that you would uh, speak through me, Lord God. There would be nothing of myself, dear Lord, that it would be your Holy Spirit, your truth, your words that come forth, Lord God, and pierce hearts, Lord God. So we look forward with anticipation, Lord God, your promise, Lord God, that you would renew our minds, transforming us into the image of your Son, that we would not be conformed to this world by the hearing and teaching of your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. So we're going to close out the chapter today, 1 Corinthians 13. Uh, verses 8 to 13. So I'm going to read those and then we'll go, go into it. 1 Corinthians 13, beginning in verse 8. Love never fails, but if there are gifts of prophecy, they will be done away. If there are tongues, they will cease. If there is knowledge, it will be done away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part. But when the perfect comes, the partial will be done away. When I was a child, I used to speak like a child, think like a child, reason like a child. When I became a man, I did away with childish things. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I will know fully, just as I also have been known fully. But now faith, hope, love abide these three. But the greatest of these is love. Amen. So, here, in the conclusion of chapter 13, Paul moves from the horizontal plane to the vertical plane. He informs the reader that the Spirit-provided gifts will not last forever. Their purpose is only for this side of heaven. Gifts will not last, but love will. Paul is putting everything into perspective in this final paragraph. The lesson for the Corinthians was that they would stop putting so much value on spiritual gifts because it was causing them to neglect the importance of the greatest gift, which is love. This love, we heard John teach on, the, uh, on, on it last, not last week, the week before, right? Uh, he referred to it as megas agape, Right? This love, megas agape, will make gifts as great as they can be, or in other words, what God actually intended those gifts to be and to do. Which is that the body of Christ used them for the edification of the saints. Amen? The purpose of those gifts. As we were reminded uh, in that teaching that this happens as we exercise our gifts in love, using them patiently, kindly, with contentment, humbly, selflessly, sacrificially, in gentleness, forgivingly, in truth, enduring the obstacles and circumstances of the here and now, enduring the flesh. Paul has been driving home the point of how we are to serve one another in humility and, of course, selflessly. That the saints' service was demonstrated by using the gifts given by the Holy Spirit in love 
and out of love for God. We read in 1 John 4.19, it's right there on the outline. I'm going to ask Gina if you could read that, please. Very simple, very straightforward. We love each other. Actually, the each other is in quotations. It says, the scripture actually says, we love because he first loved us. But really, what that means is that we can love each other. We are to love each other. We are capable of loving each other because he first loved us. And how do we show love to one another, church? Do I walk up to Sean and say, I love you, Sean. That's part of it, I'm sure. By serving. By serving, right? By serving. We love one another when we are serving one another out of our giftedness, primarily out of our giftedness. 1 John 4, 7, and 8 we read, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. The one who does not love does not know God, for God is love. You and I know God. Amen? We are His adopted sons and daughters. Therefore, we are commanded and we are equipped to love one another. Amen? Love is what? Is it a feeling? No. It's a choice. It's a choice? Anyone else? What is love? And don't rattle off 1 Corinthians 13. Sacrifice. Sacrifice? It's a commitment to the things of God and the person of God. And we demonstrate it, right? We show it. It's action, right? Romans 5.8, but God demonstrates His own love toward us and while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So again, how are we to demonstrate our love towards God? What did Jesus say in John 14, 15? It's on the outline. I'm going to ask Mr. Wessel, if you could read John 14, 15. If you love me, you will keep my commands. Very simple. And how we show our love towards God. If, we, if you love me, you will keep my commands. We love God by obeying Him. So again, just to quickly recap, thus far in chapter 13, Paul has emphasized in verses 1 through 3 the priority of love, the characteristics of love in 4 through 7, and in the remaining verses in this chapter, the superiority of love, the superiority of love. And there are uh, three ways that we see that love is superior. The first one is, love is superior by its eternality. Love is superior by its eternality. In verse 8 of 1 Corinthians 13, Paul writes, Love never fails, but if there are gifts of prophecy, they will be done away. If there are tongues, they will cease. If there is knowledge, it will be done away. So, again, perhaps... You know, as we, as we look at this, he says prophecy will be done away and tongues will cease and knowledge 
will be done away. Which, does that tell us it's going on right then and there? What, what do you think? Yes. I don't think so. You don't think so? You say yes. Anyone else? He's saying it will be done away. Yes. Joe, you were going to say something? Yes, if it's like, going to be done sometime soon? Or? Well, I interpret it as will, that it's going to be done. Right? That it will be done. I believe that these revelatory gifts, right? And we've, we've been taught this. We've learned this. We read in Scripture. These revelatory gifts uh, would no longer be necessary once the canon of Scripture is available. Amen? They're no longer necessary. We learn in verse 8 that really by what he's saying there, that not only those, but eventually all the gifts of the Spirit will end. They will be done away with. They will cease. They're valuable in this world only. Here and now are where those gifts are needed, where they are most valuable. And we know this why. Could someone read 1 Corinthians 12, 7? <coughs> Dom. Um, but the manifestation of the Spirit is given to each one for the profit of all. Amen. But to each one is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. And that would tell us it's only in this life, on this, on this earth, in this time. Paul's message to the Corinthian church was that they not place a greater value on the gifts of the Holy Spirit and the things which are not eternal. They are beneficial now, but they are not of eternal value. Well, they are of eternal value, but they're not for eternity. Okay? Love is explained... as it was explained earlier in the chapter, will never end. That's what Paul means when he says it doesn't fail. It means it will remain. It will never end. All those characteristics, okay, will not only continue into heaven, right, but they will be perfected. They will be completely fulfilled, right? Love is patient. Love is kind, right? All those things, they will be in their fullness. Love for the believer here and now as we live, as we um, demonstrate our love, as we demonstrate using our gifts, love for the believer is the closest we will get to heaven before getting there. As, as, as we operate in our gifts and as we demonstrate them in love, you know, that's what we're going to be doing in heaven. But it's going to be automatic. Okay, it's, it's just going to be our nature. All right? Th- those glimpses that we experience here, again, will soon become our reality. So, love is superior in its eternality, that it will not end, it will remain. Secondly, love is superior by its completeness. Okay? Verses 9 and 10 read, For we know in part, and we prophesy in part. But when the perfect comes, the partial will be done away. So, in verses 9 and 10, we learn from Paul that the love we invoke today in our already but not yet existence, is that love complete? No. We don't see it as complete. In other words, love demonstrated through our gifts in this temporal state is not demonstrated entirely in the way God intended at creation or the pre-fall, right? 
This is the way we're supposed to live. Yes, DJ. Is, is that when you, did you look up the word perfect? Because in some translations it might need, is it complete or is that flawless? We're getting there. Okay. Hang on. All right, we're getting there. So, we operate, okay, reading those two verses, this passage, we operate in impartialness. Impartialness, right? Not in completeness. In part, Paul says, which again means partial. Paul tells us that our present knowledge of God is an incomplete expectation at best. Okay? Although we have God's Spirit indwelling us, He will not complete the work of transforming us into likeness of Jesus until Jesus comes back. Amen? And Paul expresses His personal and constant transformation process. Right? He's no different than you and I. His sanctification life. We're being transformed. He expresses his personal and constant transformation process to the church at Philippi. Philippians verse, uh, chapter 3, beginning in verse 8. More than that, Paul says, I count all things to be lost in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, or whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them but rubbish, so that I may gain Christ." and may be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own derived from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings, being conformed to his death, in order that I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. Verse 12, Not that I have already obtained it or have already become perfect, but I press on, so that I may lay hold of that which also I was laid hold of by Christ Jesus. Brethren, I do not regard myself as having laid hold of laid hold of it yet, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and reaching forward to what lies ahead. Completion. I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. That has to be our motivation, church. Amen, right? Is, is to look ahead. To look at the goal. right, And understand that the work that God has begun in us will not be completed until we are with Him. God has placed His Spirit in us, uh, in us in order that we may have the true knowledge of God's mystery, Paul says. Uh, the true knowledge of God's mystery of Christ Jesus. But it is still... Maybe not, I don't know if imperfect is a strong word, but it's limited. It's limited to our finite understanding. Colossians 2, verses 2 and 3. Paul says that their hearts may be encouraged, having been knit together in love, and attaining to all the wealth that comes from the full assurance of understanding, resulting in a true knowledge of God's mystery, that is, Christ himself, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. God's, uh, uh, Peter, Peter tells us that God's divine power has granted us, granted to us what? Everything pertaining to life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who has called us by His own glory and excellence. It's in 2 Peter 1.3. The Lord God has provided all the knowledge we need to know and serve Him in the here and now. Amen? He's given us everything we need, exactly what we need. 
He never comes up short. He never gives more. He says He's given us everything for life and for godliness to serve Him. Paul says in verse 10 of 1 Corinthians 13 that when the perfect comes, there will no longer be the need for knowledge, wisdom, teaching, etc. We will not need the written word because we will be in the presence of the living word. Amen? And have full comprehension. So, I, I give to you DJ's question. How would you interpret Paul's statement of when the perfect comes? Who wants to say something? Anyone? Sean. Um, pertaining to the way that it's, it's uh, framed in this verse, I would say that perfect here means complete. Mm-hmm. Because it says, but when the perfect comes, the partial will be done away. Mm-hmm. So that would, that, you know, it, it seems to emphasize completeness. Amen. Agree? Disagree? Nobody has an opinion? Agree. Agree? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Okay, all right. And sometimes Just curious, I'm mean, you know. You know. It, not for nothing, that, that's part of the uh, learning how to study, is sometimes the clues are in the language. Mm-hmm. In, I never noticed the previous word. The previous word? Yeah, when he said incomplete. Incomplete, yes. So, in the... Uh, in the Holman, in the Holman uh, commentary, I think it's on the outline, there's this, this quote about uh, chapter 13, verse 12. It says, he indicated, Paul indicated that he would meet a person when perfection came by saying that he would know in the same way that he was known. Make sense? We'll read that again. He indicated that he would meet a person when perfection came by saying that he would know in the same way that he was known. When perfection came, basically Paul would gain a greater personal knowledge of someone who already had knowledge of him. Right? Which is Jesus Christ. So, the understanding we have here, again, the point is the understanding we have here is incomplete. But one day, it will be full. We will know him as he knew us. What perfection or perfect refers to, okay, is the long-awaited institution of our final eternal state. Right? When everything is complete. When it, redemption is finally realized. Right? When it comes, when it comes, when it comes, sorry, when it comes, a greater personal personal knowledge is gained of Christ who already has a perfect knowledge a full knowledge of you and I the perfect is not the second coming of Christ perfection happens at the second coming of Christ as he fulfills and completes what Paul describes uh, could someone read Ephesians 1 9 and 10 Ephesians 1, 9, and 10. Sharon. He made known to us the mystery of His will, according to His kind intention which He purposed in Him, with a view to an administration suitable 
to the fullness of the times. That is, the summing up of all things in Christ, things in the heavens and things on earth. Amen. Amen. The summing up of all things in Christ, things in the heavens and things on earth. So, in the here and now, when we serve through the use of our gifts in love, again, it is a taste of heaven, right? When, 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 when we avail ourselves to God, now when I say that is when we purposefully, you know, consider God's word, when, when, when I meditate on his word, when I ask for forgiveness, when, when I ask him to cleanse me, okay, and, and, and I ask him that I be used, that I be a worthy vessel, okay, isn't that a great... I hate to say like like sound gushy because I think it's just, but it feels good. It's it's a great privilege. It is an honor to be God's instrument, knowing that it's nothing that we do. Okay, but it's Him through us. That it's not in our own strength. And when we do that, that's just a, a little taste, I think, of what heaven is going to be like. You know, we say the perfection, we say all that, but just again the unity, the harmony. Worshiping God and just living out eternity. Again, it's a, it's a taste of heaven. I think it's the closest thing to heaven than anything we'll ever experience on, on this side of heaven. In First in, in John 3, 2, we read, Beloved, now we are children of God and it has not appeared as yet what we will be. We know that when He appears... We will be like Him because we will see Him just as He is. I also like this passage in Philippians. It's not on your outline. I don't think it's on your outline. Um, Philippians chapter 3, verses 20 and 21. Paul writes, For our citizenship is in heaven, from which also we eagerly wait for a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform the body of our humble state into conformity with the body of His glory by the exertion of the power that he, ha- that he has even to subject all things to Himself. Hallelujah. Amen. We will be, literally, be like Christ. <clears throat> literally be as He is. What a wonderful hope. What a wonderful thought. When the perfect comes... There will no longer be a partial understanding. It will be full and it will be complete. The gifts, again, are only for this side of heaven. The church age for for today. The prophecy and knowledge the Corinthians have tasted is a foreshadowing or a little taste of the completeness and fullness that we will have one day. Amen? So... Those are the, two, the first two points. And the last point, we have lo- love is superior by its eternality. Love is superior by its completeness. And lastly, love is superior, what we've been saying all along, to the Holy Spirit gifts. Right? That the gifts, Paul writes here in the close, that the gifts are elementary. Okay? Uh, he, he's telling the Corinthians that he, he's really, he, he's telling that they're behaving like children. They have a childish behavior. Verses 11 and 12. When I was a child, I used to speak like a child, think like a child, reason like a child. 
When I became a man, I did away with childish things. For now we see him in a mirror dimly. But then, not him, for now we see in a mirror dimly. But then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I will know fully, as I have also been fully known. In his word, God repeatedly refers to his children as what? As sheep and as children. Right? He addresses us as his children. At times we can act like sheep, right? Simply just going our own way, doing whatever pleases us without any consideration for consequences. But we are children in the sense that we will and are and should be growing and maturing. Amen? In this sanctification life, in this sanctification time that we have here. This childhood is but a season, right? Eventually we become adult men, we become adult women, and we must live as such, right? I mean, I'm sure there's some days you want to, be, you want to act like a five-year-old, right? But the reality is we cannot do that. They'll lock us up. And, um, and what, so what's Paul writing here? The earthly, the earthly lifetime of the believer is being compared to that of a child, which will one day be made complete and full. But at the same time, it seems that Paul's saying that the, the people of, the, uh, of Corinth were acting childishly. I think, and I think in their pride, desiring those, those revelatory, those sign gifts, and not concentrating on exercising the gifts that God's given them, but also exercising them in love. No matter how much we grow into knowledge and relationship with God, we never arrive. Never becoming fully mature. We can only go so far. Amen. We've read that earlier. Childhood teaching and understanding will eventually end. The reflection of Christ and heaven within and through the church on earth will one day become our reality. He compares how we experience, see, and understand God and his economy, this side of heaven. He says, he makes reference to a mirror with a mirror's reflection. For now we see in a mirror dimly, he said. Now that word dimly or indistinctively, indistinctly, depending on your translation, means, it actually means the word riddle. Okay, or an enigma, or really something that is not clearly defined. Today, we, we might say, instead of saying a mirror, we might say, uh, use a photograph as, as, as Paul's example, and how it captures uh, the appearance of a person. It captures their physical appearance, their beauty, okay? But it's still limited. It, it, we, we cannot see it completely, all right? A photo does not allow us to know and experience the true person, how wonderful they are, all right? how lovely they might be. Only when we are with someone, as he makes reference face-to-face in that verse, can we fully adore and understand who they are. We, 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 have, a, we, we have a tendency to know things about each other. Right? About, about people. We know about people from what we hear, 
We know about people from what we observe. But it's not until we are with them, right, that all of our expectations, assumptions, and perceptions of them are exposed to the reality and the truth of who they are. And they are either confirmed or disproven. But we don't have a clear understanding or knowledge of who they are. God's knowledge of me, though, and you, right, is full and complete. And so will our knowing Him one day be complete and full. Any questions? Any comments? Before we close. Verse 13. Paul writes, but now, right? But now faith, hope, love, abide these three, but the greatest of these is love. And this is where he kind of puts like a little bow, nice bow on, on the whole thing. He's saying now, presently, presently, and for, you, for us also, presently, in our imperfect state, faith, hope, and love remain, right, on this plane of life. But we remember that love encompasses both hope and faith. In 1 Corinthians, again, 13.7, right, love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love encompasses those. Hope does not continue once it's, it's realized. What, right? Romans 8.24 says, for, for in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? Right? We don't hope for something we see because it's there the same goes with faith Hebrews 11.1 now faith is the assurance of all things hoped for the conviction of things not seen faith and hope one day will no longer be necessary once the unseen is seen once the unseen is known by us fully When the perfect does come, faith and hope will no longer be necessary. But love will remain. Love will remain. Love is forever. That is why Paul says at the close, but the greatest of these is love. All these others will go away. But love remains. It remains today for us in our future here, and one day we will have it fully. Amen? We, I believe that when that day comes, when that perfect comes, I won't have to think about purposely being kind, being patient. It's going to be who we are. If we're going to be made like Christ, right? So love remains. We have these gifts. God has equipped each one of us for the edification of the church. And Paul's been saying that over, at least that's what I've been hearing, over and over, that we are here to build one another up. If I can't say something that builds you up, then I should just keep my mouth shut, is what, I, what I'm getting out of this too. But, let's face it, at times, it, 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 it can't, I don't say it becomes laborious, but it's not natural for us. We want to do it, okay? And when we do do it, we are blessed. 
when we serve with love. Well, that day is coming where I don't even I don't have to think about that. That's just going to be the way it is. Amen? That's just going to be the way it is. So that's what I got out of this. I hope you were blessed. Um, comments, critiques, differences of opinion. We'll turn the recorder off. Let's close in prayer. We can continue speaking if you want. Father God, thank you once more for today. Thank you, Lord, again for your word. Thank you, Lord God, that your promises are yes and amen. And as we read your word, as we study your word, Lord God, and as you, Lord God, work to completion the work that you've begun in us, Lord God, we can have complete confidence that one day we will be like your son. One day there will be no sin. One day we will be in your presence, face to face with the Savior, Lord God, just living out eternity as you have purposed it. Father, be with uh, Mike as he preaches a fair view, Lord God, again, again, that it's, we thank you that you've provided someone to preach there, Lord God. We thank you that it's someone we know and we know he's going to preach your truth. We pray for the congregation there that they would receive your truth today, Lord God. We pray for us as we go into the sanctuary and we lift up Pastor Eric and what you've put on his heart, Lord God. Continue to prepare our minds and our hearts to receive what you have for us uh, uh, this day, Lord God. So we thank you and ask that you have your way with us in Jesus' name.